Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and a little bit of entertainment. How are we all this week? I have literally just landed in Portugal for an epic weekend of Ironman announcing in Cascais. It's going to be a busy few days with the first ever full distance Ironman event on Saturday, followed by the Ironman 70.3 on Sunday. Now with lots of age group athletes lining up to race across both events, there's also a stacked field of professionals racing on Sunday and a large Irish contingent also taking part across both events. If you are racing at the weekend, please do be sure to come and find me and say hello. I'm looking forward to a couple of chill days in the sun after the epic Mondello 24 race at the weekend. There was a busy lead into the weekend and the event itself was 100% full on. Crewing for our Galway babe, Karen Cassidy, was intense, emotional and exhausting, but it was totally worth it to see her smash her first solo ultra endurance race. Having trained with her over the past few months, seeing the commitment and dedication she had to her goal, balancing her training with a very busy household and a full-time job, it was an achievement in itself to get to the start line in such great shape. Being part of the crew instead of racing gave a completely different insight and perspective to ultra-endurance racing. And just like a rider on the bike turning the pedals for 24 hours, the crew were on hand for 24 hours also, with the goal of ensuring the riders being monitored, minded and motivated, especially when the tank starts to empty and the later hours of the event start to take its toll on the rider. The joy, elation and emotional relief of finishing was felt by all of us on Sunday afternoon as Karen crossed the finish line as the fastest female solo rider. She completed 171 laps of the track, covering an incredible 598.2 kilometres over the 24 hours. A brilliant result which saw her finish in the top five overall. This totally testament to her training and determination to achieve this mammoth goal. In addition to crewing for Karen, I was invited to announce the start of the race on Saturday and provide some live race commentary on Instagram for the event. It was such a buzz, building up the excitement on the morning of the race with the unique Le Mans start, with riders on one side of the track and their bikes being held by a crew member on the other side. And when the siren went, the riders ran across to their bikes, jumped on and off they went. Getting to experience the event from the inside and the outside was great. And with so many familiar faces racing and crewing, there was great fun had, even when the wind was howling and the rain was battering us in the middle of the night. This race is definitely one for the radar for next year. Whether you are an experienced rider or simply wish to dip your toes into the sport of endurance bike racing. With solo and team options, there are plenty of opportunities to experience the event as a rider or as a crew member. Huge congratulations to everyone who took part and to the event organisers for delivering a great inaugural event. I hope to be back next year. Who knows, I might even bring my bike. Now to this week's guest. 26-year-old Shannon Kelly stamped her return to triathlon racing this year, claiming victory in the King of Greystones Triathlon in July after a rare blood clot called an abrupt halt to her sporting career in 2019. The first-year junior doctor now based in Waterford has been involved in sport and performing arts for most of her life, excelling in and embracing both passions for many years. However, leaving aside her love of performing arts, she concentrated her efforts on triathlon in recent years. Having grown up as a competitive swimmer, it wasn't long until she excelled across swim, bike and run. A cardiac scan as part of a requirement to race with a triathlon team in France saw her sidelined when it was discovered she had a blood clot and was facing some scary health issues. 
navigating her way through the journey back to full health, dealing with the implications of her condition and the loss of sport was not an easy road. However, she has come out the other side, guns blazing, with a can-and-will-do attitude that has seen her on seven podiums in seven triathlon races this season and in some cases on back-to-back days across back-to-back weekends. Some of her key results this year include triathlon wins in Sligo, Rosslare and Ballyhas, finishing within the top 10 male standings in all races. She took silver in the National Elite Sprint Championships and bronze in the National Elite Olympic Distance Championships, as well as winning the aforementioned King of Greystones Triathlon. Last year, as she returned to racing post-illness, she had success on the bike and the running track. Taking to Zwift, she competed in Cycling Ireland's first ever National Zwift League, won numerous races in the league and held the women's jersey for multiple weeks. She also competed in Cycling Ireland road races, taking wins at Knockaderry and Corkock Park. She competed in the Athletics Ireland Track Nationals last year in the 5k, placing in the top 15 in the country. Rounding off her 2020 season, she raced her first international race in Germany for Team Hagen in the Bundesliga Elite Triathlon League, where she placed 35th overall. With big goals and aspirations for the future, both in sport and with her medical career, the future is bright and very busy for Shannon Kelly. With a strong belief in working hard and reaping the rewards of that hard work, she is fully committed to achieving those goals and in her own words she says, I go get it, I love racing, I love triathlon, I love sport. Enjoy the show. Shannon Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm very good, Joanne. How are you? I'm not too bad. What was your day like today, Shannon? What were you up to? I did a little swim in the morning and getting back into the early morning starts now after my break. And then I went to work in a university hospital, Waterford, um, in oncology. And then I headed home for a nice sunset run before showering and getting into my Mickey Mouse PJs for this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> brilliant. I love it. Now, let's get down to business. You've had an unreal season this year. Seven podiums in seven races. Lots of fun chasing podiums and points around the country. Where did you get the energy and the strength to do all of that this summer? Looking back, I don't know where it all came from, but I know that I enjoyed every single minute, every single race. It wasn't necessarily planned that way. I think with COVID, everybody um, was in a season of unknown as such. And when races started uh, opening up and uh, being confirmed, I just ended up saying, you know, look, I'm fit, I'm healthy, I've had a good build up, let's see what happens. And, you know, I just was having a ball. So I just, I loved seeing people again at races. I loved competing, being, you know, being with other girls, competing with them and uh, getting the results that I felt maybe my training has been reflecting. So, yeah, it was good. It was good season all in all. Tell me about the seven races. What what was the season like in terms of that seven? So I know you did back-to-back weekends, but then you also did back-to-back Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, there was one day you were in Galway and the next day you were in Sligo. And the following week, I think I saw you down in Dunmore East or in Yall or something. I can't remember. <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, there was a lot of traveling involved. Um, that can be the good and bad thing of triathlon, uh, depending on what way you look at it. I got to see every aspect of the country from, you know, uh, Galway, like you're saying, down in Loch Coutre, um, then to Ballyhas in Cork on the last sprint triathlon. Westport for the National Olympic Distance Champs and Dunmore East, where I'm actually based um, now. So that wasn't much of a travel. And um, that's my uh, home turf for now um, in Waterford. And um, yeah, that's just a name, but a few. But it was really important to get my recovery right after each race. And then uh, also to have sort of a plan set out in terms of where I was going to sleep. I think the biggest day of traveling was probably um, the Westport to Ballyhas on the last weekend. And so I ended up traveling four and a half hours from Waterford to Westport, staying the night, racing Westport, driving two more hours that night to Limerick to stay there and then drive in the morning another hour and a half to the Ballyhas that morning and I was doing it all by myself uh, so I really needed to be on the ball because if I slept through an alarm I wasn't going to race. <laughs> well I, I can imagine even the logistics of trying to figure out where you would stay what you would do never mind the fact that when you're packing for racing you're packing for three sports and want to make sure that your equipment is in perfect working order on top of which you need to make sure as you mentioned that your recovery is right as well which must have been paramount in terms of being ready to race the next day that must have taken up so much of your brain space aside from racing. Yeah, it it was definitely some planning went into it. It was also a big learning curve for me because I hadn't done this before. I haven't raced back to back like this. I haven't been um in a sport where I was had the opportunity to do so. Um and I was healthy to do so and I suppose I just took every opportunity as a learning curve. Um I didn't do I'm not going I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I didn't do everything right. My nutrition probably could have been better. My sleep could have been better, but I think every week I kind of got better at it. I learned little things, what to pack, what not to have ready, you know, um in terms of nutrition, what worked, what didn't. So again, it's just all building on the future and hopefully I can take what I learned this season and apply it to next season. I also feel like I did a few races in Germany prior to the weekends and I had a very short traveling kind of turnover as well there and that was during COVID so it was slightly stressful <laughs> a little bit because um, you have to get PCRs, you have to be on time and uh, the Germans are great with their timing and their schedules so um, I suppose it was just building on that. And before we go back to talk about your background in sport and how you ended up getting into triathlon, I just want to come back to the recovery piece. So when you finished a race in one part of the country, what was your recovery protocol to get ready for the race the next day in a different part of the country? Straight away after the race, um, make sure I rehydrate, get some fluids in. And then I would do a little rundown or shake out, nothing too major. It depends on whether it was an Olympic distance or a, a sprint. 
and um, then I would pack up as quickly as possible, keep warm and head back to my car and either drive somewhere to get food or if it was somewhere really remote, I would have something kind of pre-packed and something more high in protein, but easy on the stomach because I do tend to have tummy issues especially straight after a race I think a lot of people do especially if you a sprint race it's if you're going and you've built up lactate it's hard to get food in straight afterwards you don't necessarily feel that hungry and I do suffer with that even something like a banana or something just to kind of buy the time and then I travel as soon as possible as soon as I got something to eat I try and travel as soon as possible um so I didn't get cold because I couldn't shower in a lot of the races afterwards. So I was smelly um, and, and sometimes wet um, driving into these <laughs> new hotels on the other side of the country, sitting um, my car. Oh, bet, I bet it reeks, you know. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's basically what I did. And then when I got to the hotel, I checked in. I kind of you know got my head around what just happened showered chatted to family and friends um who always you know sent me lovely texts afterwards or you know asked me how it got on how I felt talked to my coach and then yeah got to bed as soon as I could again more food that was about it it's just really about um, putting back into the body what it's what it's lost over the course of, of the race. And after the second race in the weekend, did your recovery change slightly in terms of what you did? Did you eat a bigger meal? Did you maybe focus on real recovery then as opposed to just looking to your uh, pre-race nutrition on the following day? Um, I always kind of had a go-to is, my go-to is like um, kind of, like a really simple carby meal the night before um, and then something a bit more higher protein straight after a race. But then again, sometimes you were around like very little um, in some of the more remote races. So it, it didn't happen like that. Mm. To be honest, from week to week, I can't remember that much because there was so much going on. I'm going to be completely honest. But I just tried to focus on that present moment what I needed to do, how my body felt. So, you know, different races I felt were easier than others. Like, obviously, the national champs, I felt like, you know, uh, were the harder races because I really pushed myself. And especially in Hooker by Crook, that race was insane. The course is insane. Um, you know, me and Maeve were within a minute of each other at the end it was just so great to have so many girls as well racing and you didn't know where anybody was because of the staggered start so I suppose it's just listening to your body in my eyes um, and how you feel on each weekend. And important to listen to your body when you look at what you're putting it through. I want to come back to your background, original background in sport really Shannon and were you sporty as a kid or where did this passion for sport come from? I know your dad is involved in I'm going to say Thai boxing or um so it's Muay Thai. Don't ask me why my dad an Irish man um <sighs> fell into Muay Thai but uh yeah I suppose I did grow up in a sporty family um which helped. Um, I probably wasn't the usual kid um, in terms of 
I wasn't very girly. My poor mum tried to dress me in everything girly and probably wanted the most girly girl, little pink loving girl. I was not that. I used to dissect snails. I wanted to be a vet from the age of five. I would be mucky. I would be, you know, um, running out with the boys, uh, doing anything I could, wanting to be with dad in the gym. You know, I had my little brother. We were always outside, um, climbing trees. Anything. I I was mental. I was a mental uh, child. <laughs> so God loves my parents. Um, uh, and then I just suppose they just threw me into anything that they thought I'd like, and if I liked it, I stuck with it. And I, I'm very fortunate that I had parents that put me into all of these different things to try out I I was like a Duracell bunny as a kid as well and um, still I a did. Duracell bunny hang on have we not just discussed seven podiums <laughs> seven races in seven different counties uh, around the country yeah but I suppose it all started with swimming um and I also was very fortunate some of my family are American and so my auntie and my mum's sister were all located in the States on the Jersey coast. And so a lot of my summers were spent on the beach in New Jersey and I was in the sea. I was running around. I had a very outdoorsy kind of childhood with the weather over there. Um, and I suppose I just loved the water from that. So to be safe, mum and dad put me into swimming lessons that led to competitive swimming from the age of, you know, eight. Um, I was in a club, a Viking swim club that led to like Leinster development uh, swim team. But I was never a long distance front crawler. I was always like a back crawler. So it doesn't really help triathlon. Um, I did reach, you know, I was national silver medalist, I think 14, 15 years old. Also, while I was doing that, I think at the age of like six or seven, mum put me in um, both speech and drama and also dancing. So like a performing arts school. And I did ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop. Um, and then you do your acting and your vocal lessons. Um, so I would have kept that actually going all the way until the leave insert. I was fortunate enough to work equally as hard in that as I did in my swimming and when I got to about 14 to 16 there was opportunities there that I took hold of while I was still in secondary school. I ended up going on a scholarship, a week scholarship to uh, London Body Works and was at 13 dancing in London Pineapple Studios under some incredible choreographers um, which were all organised by my performing arts um college and you know they gave us opportunities if we put the work in and um, I did then a few a little acting stints um which I loved growing up are you the girl um, of first city <laughs> so yeah I I have been on fair city a couple of times I think my dad has this recorded somewhere but I actually sang on one of the Christmas specials, Silent Night. So I did, that was my first, you know, when I was 11, I sang on that. 
and then what else yeah love hate I was in the Eddie some of the Eddie Rocket scenes and yeah they were great experiences and each again just taught me a little bit um about myself and taught me traits that I could bring in to future ambitions and aspirations so when did the swimming slash triathlon start to really take hold that you decided to go down the athlete route versus the performing arts route? When I was 15, I went to London, as I mentioned, um, just to see colleges. Um, that age is kind of the age you'd go for training and dancing if you wanted to make it, you know, on the likes of Broadway or, you know, the West End. And so I was fortunate enough to to go on one of these kind of trips to see what the college was like. They were offering, you know, places there and um, there was a good setup. But when I did the week there, um, I, it kind of confirmed to me that that's not the sort of lifestyle I wanted to live. I loved dancing and I loved it, but it was very doggy dog um there was a lot of competition but in a different sense it wasn't based on necessarily your talent unfortunately sometimes it came down to the way you looked and whether you were looking not that you looked bad but whether you were right for a job and just what they were looking for in the advertisement and whatever it was you were auditioning for and some people would go years without getting a job and it was just the uncertainty just kind of scared me as a 15 16 year old when we all worry about money and future and you know you shouldn't be doing that but I suppose practical 15 16 year old me did So I threw myself into swimming and my studies and I wanted to get veterinary. So I unfortunately didn't do that because I'm now a doctor of humans, not dogs and cats. But anyway, snails or snails. Yeah, Um, my dad loves that one. So I have to put it in. Um, He never lets me go that I used to bring in snails. Oh, and like sea crabs. I used to like. I thought I was helping sea crabs when I was like a kid in New Jersey. So I'd like dig up all the, you know, the burrowing sea crabs and I'd put them in this big bucket and fill it with water because I think it would be helping them because they needed to swim because crabs live in water. These ones didn't. I ended up like drowning all of them and they'd be floating on the top of the bucket in the morning and my mum would be like, what did you do? So yeah, not best um, vet back then but uh yeah the points were really drastically high there's only actually one veterinary course in all of Ireland and for anybody listening who has aspirations to do it or is doing it fair play because it's just so so difficult to get into even harder than medicine at present and I tried and didn't succeed but I landed in a job that I love now when I was focusing on that swimming just and dancing took a backside and I then stopped swimming within my first year of college I was 17 18 and yeah I just started traveling the world I obviously you know did keep fit but I didn't you know in my undergraduate degree in UCD I didn't really do much other than be a normal kind of teenager um, I was slightly younger than a lot of people and um, I started school quite young so I just kind of grew up a little bit. 
I went out, I had my, you know, nights out. I learned a lot from that too. And I just started to miss sport and I missed the outdoors. Um, I never stopped that. When I finished my undergrad, I actually had not taken a, a gap year and then I actually qualified to get into medicine straight away. And from that, so it was like three years straight into another four. I was going to Limerick and during that summer, I picked up some open water swimming because I was doing lifeguarding on the beaches in Dublin. And I then just threw myself into a trap on um, after, well, actually, I did an aquathon, which Orla Walsh was at. And she was, I think, 16, 17 at the time. And I was... um, what age was I 20 something like that yeah I think it was 20 1920 um and yeah we raced each other and she came first and I came second and I did not run that much I mean I just kind of did it to keep fit but it was a swim run on bull wall in the sand and yeah somebody came up to me and said you should buy a bike and I was like what sort of bike What, what like a like a it's clueless um I didn't know what a triathlon bike was I didn't know what a TT bike was what cleats were so I went down to Limerick knowing nothing was at triathlon Ireland and um, had somehow I had fallen into their uh hands and I ended up uh training down there meeting Con, Doherty, Kieran Jackson, Eklund O'Reilly was all down there and who else um I'm probably missing a few and they'll kill me for it but we had a good group down there and they all used to call me the Fred yeah or Fredette Con came up with Fredette yeah and so I came out I remember Lynn making the boys bring me out on a spin my first spin I think I'd only been in clip-ins for about a week I was absolutely scared um so worried that I was just gonna fall over at you know the small kind of turtle roll like at the traffic lights yeah that was probably me um and yeah the boys just laughed said I was wearing my helmet wrong I had the wrong socks like couldn't have impressed less but I was still loving it and they were great crack to have down there. And I mean, it just made everything more enjoyable and I learned a lot from them. Fast forward then from being afraid it to uh, taking on some fairly hefty races and about to head across to France, I think it was in 2019, um, when disaster struck. I'd been just in the sport about 18 to 20 months nearly two years and um I had kind of been getting better and I it was the next step to kind of throw myself into the French Grand Prix um I just joined Hop Hop like literally just weeks prior um and throw myself in I think there was like turbo sessions and stuff so the the coaches had only gotten to know me, but this was kind of like looking for the future for the summer in the next few months. And I just booked a scan through my health insurance. It's a cardiac ultrasound. So basically it's just, you know, like an ultrasound that you have if you're pregnant, but it's on your heart and it just allows doctors to see the structures. 
So it was just a requirement because in France, they actually have had triathletes with um, heart problems. And so I just did this tick box thing that I thought was completely normal. I had my bike in my car. I drove to the Beacon straight from college and I went to the um, scan room. I was having a chit chat because like obviously I was in med school at the time with the radiographer and we were just chatting away and then all of a sudden she just went quiet and in my head I kind of knew that wasn't probably a great thing to have happened I kind of started like in my head thinking what could this be so like the medical student in me was like okay it could be you know, a hole in the heart, like I'll simplify the terms, but like a hole in the heart. It could be I have like a thickened muscle on one of the sides of the walls of the heart. I could just have kind of a congenital thing and basically something that maybe I was born with that I didn't know. My cousin has something or has had a problem with it, a valve in his heart that he was born with. So I was thinking, could I have had that? So everything was going in and she just said, oh no, everything's fine. I knew the spiel. I knew by her face that everything wasn't fine. But she was like, just wait outside and we're having a little bit of a problem getting the report. And lo and behold, 10 minutes later, a consultant came and got me and said um are you here with anybody and I said no I'm due to go to turbo (laughs) in an hour you're delaying me here I have my bike and my car and he goes you're gonna have to ring some family uh this is what we've seen so they won't get a great picture of what was happening they just can see the structures and shadows ultrasounds work by you know shooting it off basically these waves and they bounce back and the way they bounce back will tell us like how close the image is how thick it is stuff like that they knew there was a shadow there in the right side of my heart in the atrium which is your top chamber so you have four chambers to your heart and it's your top right chamber and they just seen this kind of shadow and they couldn't tell me whether it was a tumor or a clot it was very ambiguous what what was going on and I was so young so healthy I had just done a 70k bike race my first ever bike race in the Des Hanlon and I I came top 20 like I, I had finished the 70 kilometer bike race like I felt fantastic I was training away and I I didn't have and um, I suppose normal symptoms of anybody who would have had a clot and um, so they scanned me straight away they started doing the work up and the doctors were great. They did everything they could. And they found out that evening that I had more clots. So there was a clot in my heart, but it also dislodged a few bits into my lungs. They needed to find out all these reasons why I had this. And they did all the tests. But luckily, we found out I was on the oral contraceptive pill. And um, a fun fact for people to maybe know is that one in a hundred people who are on the oral contraceptive pill, and I'm trying to get this message out to younger girls thinking about contraception options as a doctor, um, one in a hundred will actually suffer from a clot. Now, usually the clot will happen in the leg, and we call it a deep vein thrombosis or a DVT. You'll you'll hear these words used a lot, but mine seemed to come from my arm. And then traveled via a large vein called the SVC and kind of lodged there slash into my heart. Usually it doesn't lodge. It kind of just goes straight via the heart into the lungs. But mine kind of caught somewhere and 
you know, um, different reasons, maybe, you know, with the dehydration that comes from sport as well and stuff like that, it kind of just built up and built up over time. And so I had to go uh, no sport, blood thinners, and my body, your body breaks down clots itself. But just so that my body was able to do this sufficiently, I went on blood thinners. And because blood thinners aren't very safe for riding bikes, you know, I was told to kind of not to to do any sport, which was very hard for me because I suppose so many years of my life had been in sport. And even if it wasn't me doing the sport, it was going to watch my brother in a football match or my dad uh, in his in his fights or his fighters kind of fights um, or being at the gym or running with my mum or doing something active and that was taken away from me at, at quite a young sort of age I don't think anybody in their early 20s thinks that they're going to be that ill or sick or on a very drastic medication but it, it did happen to me so I had to just deal with it as best I could and I suppose that aspect I take into my everyday life now, I go get it in terms of every in terms of everything I do. I just put my 100 percent all or nothing into it because I have an opportunity that some people don't have and I didn't have at one stage. And maybe that's why I kind of grasped at all the, the races this um, year. And a lot of other people did because COVID was around and we didn't get the opportunity to race. But also from my own aspect, I hadn't raced in nearly two years, and um, not just because of COVID, but also because of my health issues. So I just love racing and I love triathlon. I love sports. So that love just kind of came out and doing so many races. You said there, you said an awful lot there, um, Shannon. Sorry. No, no, that's, it's it's very good. It's really interesting um, because there's lots of things there that as a member of the general public, we probably wouldn't know or understand. And some of those facts that you've given us and some of the information is something that we should all be aware of. But I, I want to come back to the bit where you said that, you know, sport was taken away from you and you just had to deal with it. But how do you deal with it? How do you deal with sport being taken away from you? Not because you broke your leg or you fell off your bike and broke your collarbone for six weeks, but this was a life-threatening, rare blood clot that was sitting in your body and that was now going to take control of what you couldn't control. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it was very hard to deal with. It took a lot of thinking about things. Um, the way you look at life totally changed. I suppose I didn't take things for granted or, you know, every day that I kind of was able to do a bit more, I, I really reveled in. In the early days, there was a lot of tears, don't get me wrong. Like I wasn't, I'm not going to paint this perfect picture of, I handled it 100% you know perfectly my family was a huge support um, and my friends too so shout out to all of them if they're listening they were amazing and thinking back to it the biggest thing was the the lifestyle change you know if this was because I didn't know if this clot was going to um go away there was 
a big chance that it would with the blood thinners. But if it didn't, and if it was there for years and years, because we didn't know how long it had been there for, I would have needed open heart surgery. And they they put that to me. I've, they were very honest at the start. They were like, look, we think it'll go this way, but this is also on the table. And I think up until, you know, maybe six months after it first got diagnosed, I didn't get that confirmation that that was taken off the table. So um, I suppose with open heart surgery, they actually stop your heart. And there's always a one, two percent risk that it may not restart. So it was scary. It was scary. Um, I suppose I reached out to people who had been through different things and um, to get their outlook on it. I had great support again, as I said, from my family. I read a lot of books. I think if anybody's struggling with anything, there's always a book somewhere. Like I, I wasn't a huge reader, but like literally books and podcasts as well. There were some really good podcasts, and um, and yeah, I just kind of looked. I I did the Google, but it didn't help. Don't do Google, people. It doesn't help. It just it doesn't. My my old GP has this like mug, and it's like um, it says, uh, "Why did you come to me if you're just going to quote?" Google like you know and I know it's very blunt but you know it is Google is is not helpful in these situations I can understand the appetite for reading though because you want to arm yourself with as much information as possible as you can and as a medical student at the time you were probably I knew more too much. yeah you knew so much that uh, I was probably the worst patient the doctors could have had because they couldn't hide anything from me like usually as doctors we kind of try and soften the blow for patients but they couldn't with me you know I was like what is on this CT like explain it to me they didn't need to do layman's terms because I I should have known it and I did know it and I knew what every blood test meant like what results so they just had to be upfront with me but then I had the hard thing of my family didn't understand. It was good in a way because I was able to hide from them and soften the blow for them in in my own terms. And uh, they tried to wrap me in cotton wool. I knew, I knew they would, but uh, I could kind of, you know, ease them into it. I just focused on small little things every day. I think anybody that's going through anything big, a life-changing event or something that they can't control, just focus on the things that you can control, the small little things and the small little things that make you happy. So what I did was I looked at what makes me happy without sport, because there is more to life than sport. And that was a big learning curve for me. So friends and family, I reconnected with a lot of people and animals. Like I said, I am animal mad. So I fostered dogs while I was sick. I fostered dogs from the DSPCA and from Dogs Trust. I had little puppies pooping around the house that my mum loved. Um, and uh, I had, uh, yeah, other older dogs that I ended up um, not giving back as a foster and ended up convincing my family to, like my uh, extended family, my uncle adopted one of the dogs that I was fostering as well so yeah that's that's what I did and that's what I'd kind of recommend for people to do just control the controllables 
And I like that idea of find something that makes you happy outside of what you've just lost, which for you at the time was sport. Moving on to the time beyond the clot, um, kind of 2019, probably going into 2020. We're now at, you know, we're nearly at the end of 2021 and you have absolutely smashed your season, which we've kind of touched on. But I know a lot of people will be interested to know how you managed the, the work Getting required back. well coming back but also the work required to do well in your studies in medical school and then to come out the other side of it and to do so well in sport um do you know what I think the two of them run hand in hand I think the discipline that we all have in sport can be transferred over um very well into our daily work life environment and our daily lives if you look at a lot of high performance athletes or even just athletes in general, even in the triathlon uh, sector, just even age group athletes who are doing well, they are doctors, they are lawyers, they are, you know, businessmen, women and um, CEOs. I really think there's like a big correlation there of like how you um attack your goals and and kind of keep a structure I suppose scheduling and discipline is the main two and once you love something as well I think you'll you'll keep it going and I guess as well we come back to the point of where you said sport was taken away from me so the joy of sport coming back probably spurred you on even more to go and to do some of those hard training sessions, to go and race some of those hard Zwift races, which we know you did very well in last year with Cycling Ireland. Queen of the Greystones triathlon as well this year. So there was the King of Greystones, but you are officially the Queen of Greystones. Queen. Yeah. The queen, yeah. You know, so <laughs> I suppose you can kind of see where it wasn't a hardship to go out and to do some of those hard sessions because you were probably more grateful than most that you actually got to do those sessions. Yeah, definitely. I I, I was just really happy to be on a start line, no matter what the, the results, I'll just give it my all. And, and that's what it was. I have done as much work as I could. Like looking back on the final year of med school, which only finished there in June of this year in 2021 I officially graduated it broke up the study which is important to have like if I'm talking to any you know young girl or boy who are doing their leaving cert or junior cert it's important not just to focus on the studies do focus on them but you need an outlet and and that kind of goes across to anybody in a in a high stress job environment as well balance is key life balance is key so you need to have those outlets and it doesn't have to be sport it can be walks on the beach it can be you know um just a, a coffee with friends once a week but you do need to have those outlets it is really important and I think sport is that for me and when you look back at your success in sport to date what would you say has been your highlight? I think that first um, King of Greystones uh, triathlon was a big one for me um, because, and my family. The year prior, I didn't get to do any triathlons. There wasn't many actually running um, in 2020 when I started back. And I was doing the Zwift racing, which was great, but 
it it was virtual so you know um the event itself was was indoors and you know uh, just live streamed the king of greystones my dad was able to come out and it was the first time my dad had seen me participate at an event since seeing me in a hospital bed and you know seeing where i was um to where i've come you know my family have seen that just me and my family have seen that. Um, so I think it was emotional for him. It was emotional for me. And it just meant a lot to, one, get the win in that. Um, but it was my first one on home soil since I had gotten sick. And the fact that it was for such a good charity, um, the Gavin Glynn Foundation, which helps families with children suffering from childhood cancer. It, it just it encompassed a lot and I had friends out there the weather was beautiful I seen old faces from you know the Greystones crew that I would have known through Hup Hup that maybe I hadn't seen in over a year because of Covid and it was one of the first races that you know we were coming out of Covid and, and we were able to kind of run um, as a normal triathlon so it was absolutely brilliant and I think that one was a highlight of the season and it mightn't necessarily have been national series or or any of these big championship podiums that I got but it meant a lot for me and my family I think it's very um I don't know what the word I'm looking for is it's very poignant maybe is the word that you won the king of greystones with your connection to your own uh, role now as junior doctor in Waterford and the connection that you have with uh, Barrettstown as well and all of that kind of stuff that you're doing you know it kind of it comes full circle really doesn't it yeah I volunteer there and prior to even Covid I was involved in that and have met uh, great people through that too and met John Glynn there the the founder of the Gavin Glynn Foundation um, whose son Gavin uh, unfortunately passed away um, and these people do amazing things. And, you know, me doing a little triathlon seems so minuscule compared to what they do and they've gone through. I do want to do oncology when um, I'm finished all this triathlon um, stuff. Who knows when that will be? But um, I would like to focus in into oncology in the future. Definitely, it's it's one of my passions, and I think we can make a lot of uh, you know movement and leeway in in the disease, um, in the future. I think as well with the King of Greystones, it almost announced your arrival back to the sport. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I suppose so. It just it was very good that it was. Um, in a place that I had started back training with, I mean, with the Hope Hope group training out there. And um, yeah, it just, it all came together. And again, a lovely day, loads of people out um, and racing and enjoying it. And it was great. What does a typical week look like for you now across oh. and training? I know you've just come back off a two week kind of break, but you're now facing into maybe your winter training and you look yeah. forward to the 2022 season. So what does like what does next week look like? Um, so I'm only really kind of just getting back into it. So nothing too insane on my bigger weeks. You know, I started my um 
junior doctor, my intern year role in medicine in July in Waterford. So I'm working, I'm contracted to work um, a 39 to 40 hour a week. And that doesn't include overtime or night shifts. It would start with being really prepared um, for the day to come and the week to come. So uh, luckily having a coach to prescribe a program, then to see that program and try and work it in my everyday kind of schedule. It would consist of me getting up, but um, people are probably crying when they hear this, 5am or 5.15am, having a coffee, getting my swimsuit on under my furry pajamas. <laughs> I'm just glad to hear that you're not wearing your, your swimming togs in bed under your fleecy pajamas. No, but I re-put on my fleecy pajamas and head to the pool. Like I have one, of, I'm one of these people with no shame. I will arrive at the pool in my pajamas. I will not look great. I don't wear makeup to work. You know what you see is what you get, people. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I rock up at the pool. Um, I swim from six a.m. In either Splash World in Tremor or another pool that's like a little bit close to the hospital, I do my usual ninety-minute session to two-hour session, depending on how much time or what time I need to be in work at, whether there's an early morning meeting or not. And then we'd start at kind of half eight, nine a.m. in work uh, with the ward rounds, and that day, depending on whether we are busy or not. Um, can run till 5 p.m. or you know 7 8 p.m. if I'm on call I can be on call till 9 9 30 p.m. that doesn't happen a lot and again that that can be kind of scheduled around and planned around in my training but usually I get off around between the hours of 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. I would head home and during the summer it was great because we had the light hours So again, I would just be prepared if I had my run gear with me, I'd go straight to the Waterford Greenway and I'd do a run session or I'd get home, hop on the bike, go outside, have an unreal cycle or a session and then I'd maybe do a run off afterwards. Live right by the Dunmore East Cliffwalk. If people haven't done that, that is amazing. And it's just about then again, sleep recovery, being prepared for the next day again. And it doesn't give a lot of time for, you know, any other extracurriculars. Things have to take a back seat. You know, I didn't do much else with my summer. I didn't travel a lot after, you know, my first few international races. I made sure that um, I seen family, but, you know, I didn't get to see all of my friends who I maybe wanted to see. You know, thankfully, they forgive me I hope um, and I'm catching up with them in the in the next couple of weeks but um, that's that's what I do and I as I said if I didn't love it I wouldn't do it if if I didn't get the rewards from it and that little incentive that you know that when you put in hard work you're you're going to get an output that's beneficial Absolutely. Um, We got some questions in on Instagram uh, from a number of people who are fans of the podcast and fans of yours. Ronan Kieran asks, how does Shannon fit in multiple event entry training and becoming a doctor in the pandemic? A lot of the uh, stuff was online for us as well, which probably was uh, beneficial for me with juggling sport. 
and then the indoor racing during the cycle Zwift League was really helpful as well just again being prepared and just the night before have your stuff ready if you want to get up for that early morning swim you will not get up if you don't have your swimsuit your bag packed I I just find with myself I don't know about you Joanne but oh if yeah. it's not all ready to go then it's just a heart it's heartache. not gonna happen no yeah. it's not gonna happen and also I always come back to quote Anna Watkinson in South Africa and she's like you just have to pencil the time in she's juggling a full-time high-flying financial career with being a full-time professional athlete and she always says I just schedule in the time so if it says 11 o'clock that I have to go do my bike then it's 11 o'clock I go do my bike it doesn't matter what I'm doing um I just have to schedule it in and I think Sometimes we get distracted with reports or things that we need to do on the work side that we let the day run away with us. And it is just you never get the time back if you don't have it scheduled. One Sense More asks, what's Shannon's favourite of the three sports? You're a great cyclist. Oh, thank you. It has to be running. This season, I have just loved every run session. I just think it's just so easy. You can just grab a pair of runners and, and run out the door run away and run off steam and uh yeah I just love running Paul Quigley asks how many hours do you work as a doctor and train as a triathlete my average would be again the 40 hour work week and the 20 hour training week would that be a typical week yeah that 40 was, hour work that week was, but 20 hour training week yeah that was probably my typical during the the summer and the the lead up months I suppose yeah See, I'd probably have to be in bed at eight o'clock at night if I was getting up at five to go training. I mean, you're only coming home at seven training and then you have to eat and shower. And well, maybe you don't shower. Maybe you put on this fleecy pajamas. And go oh, I shower. Shower. I do shower people. Don't. <laughs> my house is not as smelly <laughs> as my car when I'm showing up after those races. I promise. Um, you know, so to try and even get like a coffee with friends or a visit home to to your parents or to see your brother or whatever you know it's all crazy like yeah no I didn't get to see a lot of my family or my friends I'm not I'm not gonna lie and in terms of eating dinner and stuff like that it was it was having prepped on the weekends again it's it's just being prepared you just have to be disciplined I've learned this from my dad so my dad runs a successful gym and he has done for nearly 20 years now. But he also works a full-time job and had two kids that were highly sporty and had to drop, collect, pick up. I mean, like, I trained at 5am, like, as a kid, and my dad was getting up at 5am, dropping me to swimming, you know, sleeping in the car. Then he'd drop us to school, do our lunches. He'd go work his day he'd pick us up from our childminders we'd go to another extracurricular activity and he'd go off to the gym he'd do gym he'd open he'd close he'd coach and then he'd come home and he'd have to put us to bed and all the other dad stuff that he fit in around that so I just learned from him and our daily lives are always very planned out and my mum's very driven as well in her own kind of career and stuff like that. So monkey see, monkey do. Mm, and in that environment, you kind of learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And when you're brought up with that kind of a structure, then you'll obviously filter some of that into your own life as you grow up. Basically, my dad's crazy. 
and like a Duracell bunny and I'm crazy and like a Duracell bunny and is your brother crazy like a Duracell bunny too oh no he thinks I'm absolutely mental doing triathlon (laughs) although he's just recently taken up Muay Thai and had his first fight there which he won no he was playing golf he was golfing like off scratch from 14 he just picked it up like none of us like golf in our family like we don't know where this kid just came up with I'm going down to pitch and put I want to do golf like insane um but yeah he thinks I'm insane and he's much more chilled out than me okay uh Claire Bear 993 on Instagram asks did my first triathlon recently just wondering what you do to avoid chafing from wet tri suits and shoes yeah that's a big one so actually and a few of the girls and the guys on triathlon Ireland high performance team will remember this but my first trip to Gilas I was the fredette again and put the wetsuit on we went to do a sea session in the water like I didn't know about chafing either like these are common things that we all go through and even like me and like others uh, will have but I have pictures and it was all red raw and I actually couldn't get into the chlorinated pool it was so bad like I obviously didn't want to say anything to anybody when it was like start to hurt during the session but it like nearly broke into like blood and oh anyway so I do feel you Claire um Vaseline um is your best friend I know like they have all these sticks and stuff like that but no Vaseline for me I, I put it you know under my arms and stuff like that for the for the tri suits and then on the back of my neck for the wetsuits and as well around the wrists and the ankles for getting off your wetsuit quite quickly and some other people use baby oil and you know those glide kind of sticks whatever works for you just try it out in terms of the shoes uh talcum powder you know you should be going through a bottle at least for a season I did yeah I suppose just making sure you have the correct fitting shoes and lock laces and stuff like that and that they're the correct size final question from Quiglish your favorite place to train Oh, that's that's a hard one. I loved Lanzarote this year. I escaped uh, out there uh, literally the day after Christmas. I just had an opportunity and I took it. And I then met Hilary Hughes out there who had the same idea. Annalise Murphy, Olympic sailor. We were all on bikes. More Claffy, Orla Walsh came out. And it just ended up being a big girls crew on bikes, training their absolute heart out, out in Lanzarote. I love that place. Um, it just is very inviting. The weather's great. And I made some really good memories there. So I suppose looking back, that would probably be one of my favorite places to train. But who knows for the future? I have aspirations to go and train in lots of different places that, that I want to go see and visit. So, yeah, hopefully. And that brings me on to two final questions. The first of those is aspirations in sport for the future. What does the future hold for Shannon Kelly in terms of sport? Um, who knows? After this season, yeah, I'm just going to go at it. Uh, I've looked up to a lot of girls in the Irish scene even um, in the last uh, couple of months. And I suppose seeing Hilary Hughes and stuff like that going, just going for it, you know, not necessarily doing the, you know, whole day job, being a doctor thing. 
um, Carolyn Hayes as well. Um, just, you know, that can press pause for a minute. So I'm going to get my junior doctor year done and hopefully go full-time triathlon and just see where it takes me. Just head down and just see where I go with the sport. And if it takes me to the Olympics, great. If it doesn't, then it wasn't for me. But um, I suppose just to reach my fullest potential in the sport. I love it. And my final question is, who has had the biggest influence on your life to date outside of your family? Oh, that's a hard one. You think it's the toughest question? Mm, outside of triathlon or just my outside of my just family? Just out of your own family, because we know how much of an influence your, your mom and dad were in your career so far. So outside of it. One would be my sixth class teacher, um, Mrs. Mulrooney. Um, Carmel was her name. Um, and I don't know if she'll ever listen to this, but uh, she had belief in me and my aspirations from a little kid you know uh I wanted to just try everything do everything and at that stage um she she just said you know if you can be a doctor be a doctor if you want to be a vet be a vet and she was really just you know if you put your mind to it you you can do it and I believe in you and she was like that with a lot of us in in that class and she she was a great teacher and I think you have always one of these teachers who who does that and then my very first swim coach as well definitely made an impression on me uh Jackie Roach was her name I don't think she coaches anymore but she was head of the Viking swim club and she knew that I was this little try hard kid that never gave up and I wasn't the most talented in sport not at all but I suppose she gave me the time because I gave the sport the time I then learned from her that the more I give to something the more I'll get back and that was a good lesson to learn as a kid growing up Thank you so much, Shannon, for joining me on the show and for sharing your journey in sport with us. I'm sure there's plenty more chapters to be written as the seasons go by. And I wish you the very best of luck in chasing those goals and aspirations across your sporting career and your professional career. And I hope similarly we can have more PJ podcasts soon. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be impressed and inspired by our guests. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Every day.